everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Sierra and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. We are so excited today to have Annie Brown with us from Rodale Institute, and she's actually a neighbor of mine, and Annie, i got to convince you sometime on a day that's beautiful like this to come and visit us at our ranch. Um, it's not really as nice as the, the Rodale location is and, uh, at the Institute in, in Pennsylvania and anywhere else where you guys have got stuff, but it's pretty cool, and it's close. So, um, I would love to. Anyway, we are so excited to have Annie with us, and we're going to do this in sort of an of a interview format today. So, Mark, why don't you open us up now and, and start recording, I mean, and um, I'll just kind of give a little bit of logistics instruction for everybody. Yes, we're recording now. All right. Hey, everybody. Um, just starting again. We have an amazing guest with us, just like, man, the last 10 or 12 webinars we've had where they've been. Annie, we've had we've been really blessed with cool individuals in a bunch of different ways making an impact. Three of them completely without us trying from Los Angeles, one of them doing composting, one of them doing uh, an urban farm, and the third doing plastic recycling. And they, they probably don't live three miles from each other, and, and two of them kind of knew each other. But the other third one didn't at all, and we're getting them all introduced now. So it's kind of cool. Um, but all of our all of our attendees and guests out there um, use the question box. Ask a bunch of questions. Annie, do you like to have questions at the end, or should we ask them as we see as they make sense? Every speaker. Yeah, will uh, as like. Okay. As as you guys come in with questions, Mark's going to be looking at them. Areeb's going to be looking at him. I'll be looking at him. So right now we've got myself and, and Annie on the screen. And then Mark is behind the glass, as we say, helping out. And Areeb is actually doing the slide share where he's showing a bunch of different images that I'm sure Annie will tell us more about as we go through. Um, we'll go about an hour. And if you guys have questions, we'll just try to answer them as we move along. So, um, and would you do us a favor? Put some ones in the question box if you can hear us and see us. And then just tell us where you're at in the world. Um, and just, just kind of broadly where you're at. And maybe as you ask us questions or later, we'll be able to interact with you a little more there. So that said, Annie, beautiful day out here in Colorado, isn't it? It's stunning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to go for a sunset hike tonight. And I'm, I'm going to do the same. And I can hike up 700 feet and feel like I can reach out and grab Long's Peak right behind me. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. Um, have, it's about a 15-minute walk, and then it's just there. So, and by the way, everybody, it's getting dark here now at my place, and, and depending on where, where Annie's at, because we have mountains just to the west of us, which is where the sun sets. But, you know, we're 5.45, it'll still be, you know. Still light enough, 5.30 for sure. But uh, I played golf until 5.35 Friday, and 
that was pushing it. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we're we're both going to go out and do a little hike. I'm going to just do an interview format with Annie today. So Annie, let's start out with this real broad but simple. Tell us a little bit about your life history till today. Let's say five to seven minutes worth. Oh, okay. Um, so first, uh, let me just introduce myself. I'm Annie Brown. I am the Director of Development at Rodale Institute. And for those of you who don't know Rodale, we're located in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, about an hour outside of Philadelphia. And I have been with Rodale since 2012. Um, so I've been working remotely um, over, over eight years now and uh, find it easy enough. I, I go back and forth to the farm maybe oh, three or four times a year. I usually end up seeing a colleague at least once a month at a conference um, or a show or you know a meeting someplace to connect with uh, potential donors. Um, but before that, I was with the Organic Center, which uh, for those of you who are in the industry might know that they also um, do research in uh, organic agriculture. And they're more of a think tank. We actually have a farm at Rodale. We have a 333-acre certified organic experiential farm uh, where we conduct the majority of our research. Um, so I was with the, the Organic Center for a couple of years doing a very similar job, uh, raising money for the organization. And I was based in Boulder. The organization was based in Boulder. And in 2012, they moved back to Washington, D.C. to become part of the Organic Trade Association. And Rodale reached out to me and asked if I could do some work for them, um, primarily on the West Coast, mainly because they, uh, at the time, didn't have a huge reach. Um, and so I agreed to that. And that's how I got started at Rodale. But before all of that, um, I took some time off to be uh, a mom and stayed home for a couple of years. But I've always had a passion for food and agriculture. I uh, had started my own pasta business, uh, homemade pasta business in Baltimore when I lived there, have um, done a lot of writing about food and agriculture over the years. So this was, and before that, worked in publishing, uh, sales and marketing. So raising money for Rodale is a natural fit for me. I um born saleswoman. I love uh, being able to sell people on what we do uh, and really... Um, I think that you can't be in development in a nonprofit um, unless you have passion for what you're doing. And Rodale is is most certainly changing the world. And we are the global leader in research for regenerative organic agriculture. So that's just a brief background. And I'm based in Boulder, Colorado. So I don't know if I said that just down the road from Wayne. And by the way, she used a little different word at the very end there from organic. She expanded it to regenerative. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit as we talk. Um, so Rodale Institute was founded by J.J. Rodale. And, and J.I. Rodale. What's that? J.I. Rodale. J.I., that's right. Yeah. I, was, I, always, I always look for Irving, I believe. Right. And his son, and I think there was maybe more than one, but one of his sons was Bob. Yep. And and Bob was a really good friend with Jonathan Todd, uh, who was a professor at University of New Hampshire. 
And they became just bosom buddies, and they formed something called the New Alchemy Institute. And Bob died somewhat young, but I, I don't know whether I asked you when we were sort of prepping for this. Did you ever meet Bob? Was he already dead by the time? Yeah, he died in um, 91, I believe, in a tragic car accident in Russia. We did. Yeah. I did ask you that. You did yeah. that. And I thought it had to have been in the 90s sometime. Yeah. But anyway, I, I had a chance to meet Bob. Mm. He was sort of father figure, certainly mentor. Jonathan and Bob both were. And then he'd talk about his dad, who is this cool picture we're seeing here now uh, of J.I. And, um, and how old did, how, old, how long did J.I. stay? Did he live a long and fruitful life or did he die younger also? He didn't live as long as I think he thought he would. Um, he died, I, I think he died in 80 maybe um and there if you google it there's actually he died on uh, a television show um oh. right after an appearance he had a heart attack um wow. yeah and i it, it's at the tip of my tongue i can't recall the name of the show but um i'm sure your listeners can google it quickly um but yeah that was that was a, a tragic death also so um from the Rodale perspective, what person at Rodale, I usually don't quite ask it this way, but it's been eight years now, almost coming on nine, what person would you say that's either there now or maybe was there previously and isn't, that just quickly you can say off the top of your head has really had the most influence on you and why? Well, I would say absolutely Jeff Moyer. He's our um, CEO, and Jeff has been with Rodale Institute for 45 years. He actually started wow. as a farmhand. Yep. Jeff uh, got his degree in um, uh, agroecology, I believe, and he started after, after college. He moved back to the area where he grew up, and he got a job as a farmhand. I think he said he was making about $2.25 an hour at the time and uh, worked his way up um, to be farm manager. And uh, after decades as a farm manager, he assumed the role of chief executive officer. But during that time, Jeff uh, wasn't just managing the farm. He most certainly was uh, a leader and a pioneer in the industry in helping get the USDA certified, uh, the SEAL that we all know today. Jeff sat on the uh, NOP and was part of the NOSB for for decades. Um, so he was really instrumental in bringing organic as we know it today as everyday consumers to to the nation. Um, and uh, he, he's, he's a tremendous influence. He's an amazing leader. We have an organization now of nearly 60 people, um, certainly a lot more than when he started as a farmhand. Probably we had maybe five or 10. But most importantly, Jeff Moyer is um, the inventor of the roller crimper. And this is a farming instrument that eliminates the need to till. It takes the crops and literally crimps them down and then you can plant on top of them so that, uh, again, you don't have to till so that that soil isn't disturbed, all of the microbes are in place um, and no, no carbon is escaping. Uh, and 
some people have credited Jeff uh, with the, the roller crimper being as important as the plow. And um, the invention of the plow, as we know, revolutionized how we eat uh, as human beings. And, and I think that Jeff's invention of the roller crimper certainly is an absolutely important um, milestone in human, uh, human life and agriculture and most especially, of course, with regenerative organic agriculture. He also wrote a book, um, uh, I believe it's called No-Till, and uh, talks about the, the importance of not tilling your land. So he would be absolutely the, the most important influence in my uh, tenure at Rodale, and I believe uh, on the organic industry as we know it today. Chris, we've got. Met, I'm going to. Have you met gonna, him? I I have read a lot about him, and I have met him. I actually um, sat on a panel with him at one time. So yeah, he's an amazing guy. And we're we're very similar. I, we might be just a couple years apart age-wise, by the way. So yeah, it, I I have, and and I didn't know all of that story, and actually. I didn't know that he was the found, I didn't know that he was the developer of the rolling crimper, which I mean he doesn't take a lot of credit for that. That's that is really cool. Um, yeah, it, 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 do a search, Mark, if you would, or Reed, do it. Just do a Google search for rolling crimper so we could show people some. There'll be there'll be a bunch of images of it. That, that, just, we'll put that up at some point. Um, Wow, very cool. That that leads me to a question that I sometimes don't ask until a little bit later in an interview, but I'm going to ask it now. What's a tool that you personally have used, or maybe invented, actually, over the last year, let's say? And it can be an internet tool. It can be a, a in-the-ground tool. It can be anything that, again, you can think of really quickly and you would recommend to our audience in kind of the same passion you just talked about the rolling Anything? Sometimes people don't have it, by the way, so don't worry about it if you don't. Well, you know, it's funny you should say, I just, I do have something that um, we all love in Rodale and we're, um, we're looking into to create, to give as gifts to some of our major donors. And this is a spoon that's made just up the road from Rodale. Uh, they're called Jonathan Spoons. They've been covered in places like Oprah is one of her favorite things. But it's a really cool spoon because it has this little, little notch here. And you can put it on um, a, you know, your, your pot when you're cooking, when you're not stirring. And yeah. uh, it was invented, uh, again, just down the road from Rodale. And all of the wood is um, from hardwoods around the area. And so these are all handmade, uh, beautiful instruments. They have quite a, an enormous selection. But the notch is very handy and quite useful. Not as useful maybe as a roller crimper, but certainly uh, handy nonetheless. So we By the just way. You've got to you got to confirm this. I did not prep you on that question at all. You did right? not. No, you didn't. Not at all. Not at all. No. And I ran over this morning to get this for my colleagues, saying we need to make these with the logo and uh, the Rodale insignia on them to give to major donors. So that's what you we're think, doing. You think they'd mind getting more orders if they wouldn't? Mark, would you try to make sure you get from from Annie maybe you know later next week or something so we can share with people. And we'll uh, we'll try to get them more orders from our from our group here. So 
Yeah, we'll be ordering a set and uh, we'll order extras for, for your viewers if you'd like. And they'll be for sale at our farm store. So Rodale Institute, of course, we have um, you know a visitor center and all of the grounds, but we also have a wonderful farm store that have tools available um, as well as Jonathan Spoon's great books, a library of uh, Rodale publications and um, other wonderful goodies. And we, we're open to the public five days a week. Um, and we always are open 24 seven if anybody is in the area who wants to come over and have a tour. And um, Areed, there was a great aerial of, the, of their site back a little bit further. If you wouldn't mind bringing that one up because then I maybe will ask um, Annie just about the, that one because it shows really well sort of the whole location of the spot. Um, Annie, you, you led into another question that I was going to get to. Great question from Chris, by the way, that I'll ask from our audience. And I want to wait just a little bit. There we go. It's this one. Tell us, while, he, while he's here, tell us a little bit, and he'll move the cursor around and try to point at different buildings as you describe them. And what are we seeing here? And, and is this the periphery of the farm and so on? Sure. I'm, I'm looking at it um, right now. So... What's most interesting, I, to me anyway, is this was land that is in its ninth generation from Pennsylvania Dutch family named the Siegfriedales. And Rodale Institute sits on Siegfriedale Road. Um, so the farmhouse that's in the very back by the grove of trees, um, that is a building that I believe was from 1710 or 1720 and that's where our offices are that's where yes exactly that's where all of our um that ev everything happens at rodale institute in terms of admin development communications um and uh it's it's a wonderful old just beautiful beautiful building and um again that's where our, our offices are the Cluster of white buildings, um, just that's the barn. But if you go back a little um, to the white buildings behind the farmhouse, there you see those, right? Um, that's where all of our researchers um, have their labs and their offices. But the, again, the, the farm sits on 333 acres uh, and it's absolutely stunning. Um, and we use almost all of the acres um, for research, um, whether or not they're plots that are planted or whether we're just observing uh, the soil and its natural habitat. So um, we have our farming systems trial, which is our 40 year trial, which is not shown in this, uh, this shot here, but it's just about hmm, probably half a mile away from the red barn. And that is our most important and seminal work at the Institute, where we have been studying the difference between organic versus conventional in side-by-side -side rows of uh, grain crops. And those, uh, those crops have shown over the past 40 years that, of course, organic outperforms conventional in times of drought and excessive moisture, uses 30% uh, less energy, Farmers usually make between three and six times more 
than their conventional farmers. And probably the most important, uh, there's no difference in yield uh, after the first five years of organic farming con compared to conventional. So um, that, that study, again, it, it has been ongoing for 40 years and is our most, probably our most important and our most prominent work. I can't hear you. I muted. I muted myself because I, I forgot to take it off. Right in front of the large white roof, um, red building where the parking lot is. That where people would come in for the tours and they park. Is that the visitors parking area? No, that's actually our employee parking lot. Um, okay. There's another shot. If you um, are on the website, you can go to the farm store. You can Google or you can search on the website and there's a there's a place where you can see the farm store and we have a theater um, and it, there's a, a little parking space up there. But. Okay. And that pond that's right behind your headquarters house, um, was that there or did you guys build that or has that been there through the years? I, I believe Bob Rodale was behind that pond. Um, I, I'm not. 100% sure if that's correct, um, but I do believe that Jeff Moyer um, had some some funny stories about the creation of that pond, but um, unfortunately, I don't, I, don't know I much. believe I have some pictures that I'll send to you that came from Jonathan Todd of a bunch of um, almost transparent uh, tanks, circular tanks, maybe 10 feet tall with algae growing in them, really cool bunch of, and then that pond right in the back of them. So it would have been looking back to the pond from where where they were working on things. So it wouldn't surprise me if Bob would have been involved in that. Um, yeah. So switch gears just a little bit to fundraising, and, and that's what you're directly involved in. Um, how much of your funding comes from uh, donors versus do you have you have a farm store you know I'm assuming that most of your funding comes from a donor base and not from revenues from sales of things on farms yeah that that's absolutely correct right now we have a donor base of just about um, a little over a thousand individuals so we have um, we, we certainly work most uh, closely with them, developing personal relationships over time. We also uh, receive money from grants that we apply for, whether they're government or from family foundations or you know, large foundations. Um, and uh, then we also do corporate, um, we have corporate sponsorships, corporate partnerships, um, and that rounds out uh, the pie. But um, no, we do not have a revenue generating stream uh, of much significance. So were there small places that we can generate some income? The farm store would be one. Um, we do also have a farmer training program that creates a CSA. The farmers come onto the farm, they learn how to farm, and the, the produce that they grow, then we sell at uh, a, much, a very discounted rate um, in areas in uh, Allentown and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and soon to be in Philadelphia. Um, but primarily the, the produce they grow, actually, um, we, uh, we sell 
very discounted, but also uh, give double SNAP dollars to, to those families in need. So that's, a, again, a small revenue stream for us, but um, we are hoping, we, we just launched our organic crop consultancy. So think extension agent, but now uh, it's an organic extension agent. And luckily the state of Pennsylvania in their farm bill, that they created, they were the first state to have their own individual farm bill. Um, they gave us a grant a couple of years ago to launch a, a consultancy because they understood that farmers, organic farmers were revitalizing rural America. And if we could boost and take away some of the hurdles that they have or that they face by providing free consulting services, uh, they would have more success. So they looked around and they realized, oh, well, we have Rodale Institute in our backyard. Why not um, ask them if they could provide free consulting services to any farmer in the state of Pennsylvania? And they did that, which was an enormous, enormous gift. That funding is will end, um, but for now we have, I believe we just signed up our 160th farmer to transition to organic. And they, again, are receiving uh, free consulting services. And we have expanded the consultancy uh, to now be in more areas in the mid-Atlantic, but also in the north, um, Northern Midwest, so Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And we have a team of consultants out uh, out in those states. So it's um, eventually going to become a revenue generator for us, right? Um, but right now we are lucky enough to have some funding, um, not only from the state of Pennsylvania, but also from um, some wonderful benefactors like OXO, uh, the home goods, um, company, you know, they make vegetable peelers and salad spinners and you name it, anything uh, that you might find in your kitchen, as well as Frontier Co-op. They, uh, they sell, of course, organic spices, herbs and spices, and they have also helped promote and um, support the organic crop consultancy in the Midwest. By the way, Reeve's been scrolling through images. <laughs> Go back up to the Rolling crimper, a reed, and, and right above it is a more chip traditional tillage uh, piece of equipment behind the tractor. This mm -hmm. right here that's coming up on the left is a rolling crimper, and that would be at the front of a tractor. So that's being pushed, and then at the back of the tractor is where there'd be, uh, amongst other things, seeding occurring. And this is a, a, a high till implement up on the top. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of, of tillage equipment. Um, and then now a re-scroll back to where you were ending shows the cover cover material in, in the spring that the new plants are coming up through. And, and it gives a really good description and picture of that. I'm sure this video is really nice too, but here, here we go. And this will get much thicker, everybody. This is actually corn. Looks like coming up here it was probably even seeded in these two rows, um, and yet look at look at how few weeds are coming up. Um, that right here by this over to the right hand side is one tiny little weed, and there's a little one on the left. That's it in that whole picture because it's been they've been suffocated by the vegetation that's on top of them. It's yeah, a great process. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, 
So back on the funding side, um, a little bit of a controversial question. Do any of the big boys, and you can mention names if you'd like, I don't usually have a problem mentioning them, but do they try to discredit you at all? The big boys who that are industrial farming oriented and love to have tillage and love to have other things put on the crops. So you, you feel like they're, here we go. That's a great picture of the cover crops with corn um, growing uh, next to it. You feel yeah, any negative really from them? No, back to your question. No, we don't. I mean, they really, um, they really don't. Um, we, tomorrow we have a big announcement coming out uh, where we are partnering with one of the, the big ag companies in the world. And um, I, I can't reveal that until tomorrow, unfortunately. But um, I think that they are finally waking up and understanding that we can work together and that we're talking about the health of the, the world at this point, and that they understand that there's a lot about organic that they could incorporate into their own systems um, that, not, that wouldn't necessarily compete, but would actually enhance um, their own operations. So, um, you know, there, there might be some uh, behind the scenes conversations that we don't hear, certainly. Um, but, but we do feel that the, uh, the landscape has changed. And, and COVID, I think, has really helped. Um, it certainly has helped with our message in people understanding and really realizing the importance of organic agriculture, not only for human health, but also for planetary health as we're facing climate change um, issues on a daily basis. I don't know if you saw the news this morning with that glacier that uh, overtook over 177 people in, in northern India. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Reeb actually, Reeb probably heard a lot more about that because it's probably very close to Pakistan. And he is in a... Oh, sure. He, he really does some things in northern Pakistan. So, um, so um, on the back on sort of what you do, what goes on day to day at the Institute, what uh, if there were people in our audience that would like to potentially become a laborer there or get involved, how... How's the process of, of people that, that or, or even fundraising? Uh, obviously, we'll figure out how to connect everybody to Annie because I'm sure she'd love to increase that base from 1,000 to 5,000 or whatever the number might end up being. But how, how would people, what's the best way to maybe look for how they could help um, working if there was any if there were jobs available? Yes, um, absolutely. Right now, we in fact, I believe have at least eight, maybe 10 jobs open. Um, we are in a period of real growth at the Institute. Um, four years ago, we had a budget of about 4 million and now we're looking at needing to raise between six and 7 million every year. And that is mainly due to uh, Jeff Moyer having a vision of expanding our reach exponentially. So in the past four years, we have opened up satellite campuses in Georgia, right outside of Atlanta, uh, right outside of Cedar Rapids in Iowa, and then in Southern California in Ventura. And these satellite campuses are growing and we need uh, 
some uh, expertise at those places, um, and those jobs are on our website. But again, the consultancy that I mentioned earlier, the crop consultancy, is also growing. Um, and as they grow, then the infrastructure within the institute has to grow as well. So I would encourage all your listeners to uh, jump on our website, check out the job listings. If you're in the immediate area, we have lots of opportunities for volunteers, and there's a, a place on our website to connect with us. Um, another way to stay connected is simply follow us on all the social channels and sign up for all of our newsletters. Each of the satellite operations has their own newsletter that comes out quarterly. That's a fantastic way just to stay involved, stay connected. What we find a lot is people will connect with us and they may or may not be able to either donate or um, help or you know work at the Institute, but they might know someone. And it's really this grassroots word of mouth uh, connection that we find to be incredibly valuable in terms of opening doors um, for opportunities to expand our reach. Um, so, I highly, highly recommend just follow what we're doing closely because we are we are growing exponentially. And it seems like for the first time in that I work there, the world is really ready to receive our message and understand the importance of our work. Yeah, you know, the 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 recent emphasis on improving our planet from a green perspective of the new administration is very vocal, very prominent, but it, I'll be, it, it, it seems like it's very focused on things like transportation, where clearly you can see how if you're not emitting carbon dioxide from fumes, if you're not producing fossil fuels, I mean, it's really easy to see how carbon can be um, reduced. I don't know if we talk about it in agriculture because the, honestly, I know why. The methods to determine how a no-till field versus a till field that's non-organic um, is, is different in its carbon crediting approach. Are you guys focusing much on helping farmers understand how they might be able to reap some benefits from carbon crediting, which is going to happen more and more, um, by growing things in a much more regenerative fashion. And that's going to segue into me talking about asking you about your view of regenerative farming alongside organic. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, our since uh, since Bob really created and coined the term regenerative organic agriculture back in the 80s, that has been our focus. And it's only in recent years that others have started to use and understand regenerative agriculture. Um, and for us, it's always been about soil health and improving the soil year after year to, to increase that organic matter within um, and, and build the soil over time, not not sustain it, but regenerate it. And we talk to our farmers all the time about the methods that they can use to employ to capture uh, the carbon and sequester it. Absolutely, there is there's no doubt that is always part of our conversation. Um, but it all begins in the soil and the health of the soil. 
Um, everybody that's on our audience that, that's been around knows we're huge fans of Elaine Ingham, and we have Elaine on every six months or eight months or so, and she updates some thoughts about soil. Mark Shepard has done 100 hours worth of teaching here. Oh, my gosh. Mark is a huge regenerative um, farmer. So um, I think they know it, but it's really cool to hear about an old-school entity like Rodale, been around since 1947, everybody, that's now talking common. And Bob was, was as, as, uh, as Annie said, Bob started talking about it, I think, in the, you said 80s, but I think it was the early 70s, even. And maybe the word didn't become used as much, but he was combining what his dad had started with, with organic, and really combining it into regenerative in the 70s. Um, and then, and, in, and one of the things that Bob did is Bob also said, you know what? We should think about high tech as it relates to agriculture also, which is what Moyer did in developing a whole new system for managing the soil with the, uh, with the crimper, by the way. So th there's all those things in combination. And it's very cool. Everybody needs to listen or look for press release tomorrow. Do a, a search tomorrow, Rodale press release for who this new partner is going to be. That's a, that's it, it'll be on our um, website, and I'm sure it'll be on LinkedIn and um, in the news a couple of days after that. Uh, it could be in the New York Times tomorrow, too, um, from what I hear. Uh, so, yeah, big, big, exciting news in terms of moving the needle forward and, and changing the, the path that some think uh, the big boys are always on. So we're excited about it. All right, I'm going to ask Chris's question, and, and there's a little comment with it. So, hi, Annie. I'm, this is Chris here from Belize. I am leading a national regenerative agriculture initiative for the country. That's pretty cool, for the country of Belize. And currently a part of legalizing cannabis policy working group. What's your thoughts about cannabis and hemp, which, by the way, cannabis is hemp, Chris, that's another thing I, I hope we finally get established here in the U.S. Cannabis is the, is the, the it, you call it marijuana, you call it hemp. It is the same plant. It's just developed. It's a little different like a dachshund would be different than a Great Dane. They could actually breed each other and produce a little weird circumstance. It'd be a little difficult, but the reality is they're the same species and people get that screwed up. But anyway, the question is, what's your thoughts on cannabis and hemp? integrated into regenerative systems for the tropics. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, if you go to our website, you'll see that we have done four years of hemp trials. And again, looking at how hemp can be used in um, as a tool in an organic farmer's toolbox for uh, regenerative organic agriculture. And in that being that hemp we have found has been incredibly useful in weed suppression and in pest management if it's used in a rotation. So, um, and then of course that all goes back to creating really great soil. So we are huge proponents of integrating hemp. And as you said, it's in the family of, uh, of cannabis and uh, we don't do any trials with cannabis per se, but what we know is that the work that we've done in hemp can translate absolutely to, uh, to cannabis. 
Unfortunately, our work is just in the Mid-Atlantic and in the Poconos with hemp. We are starting um, just this past year. We've done some hemp trials at our Southern California plant uh, satellite location um, in Ventura, California. They have uh, some research that they just published. Um, again, you can find that on our website under the hemp tab. Um, if it's not there, just message me directly and I can get you the latest. But again, they're, they're seeing the same things, that it's an incredible useful uh, crop within a rotation for uh, organic agriculture. Shouldn't be monocropped because it just leaches, you know, it just strips nitrogen out of the soil so it there, it definitely has to be in a rotation to be able to maintain that really healthy regenerative uh, uh, system but yeah we're we're huge fans of hemp and um, really hoping that other farmers begin to to integrate it so that this monocropping um, can stop um, because it is, it's really, it's incredible. And the uses they're finding for hemp more and more. There's, I just read an article this morning about hemp being um, used in the creation of a battery that would be very similar to a lithium battery at a fraction of the cost. So it just seems like every day there are more and more uses uh, for hemp. And if we can get farmers to integrate it into their systems, I, I think we'll all be better off. Very cool. Hope that helps. Uh, and again, look on our website because we've got quite a bit of work that we've done with hemp. And Chris, you know, I'm not going to speak for Annie, but gosh, maybe down the road, uh, you've got the first uh, international uh, sub-location, you know, for, uh, for Rodale there in Belize. Absolutely, and our consulting services are um, worldwide. In fact, I believe we're, we uh, just enlisted a farmer from Togo um, most recently. So if you have issues or, or you would like some information um, or interested in our consulting services, please reach out. I'm happy to point you in the right direction. Awesome. We have about 18 minutes left, everybody. We want to be very respectful because we are going to let Annie do that twilight walk because it is still crystal clear and calm here, and we're going to make sure she gets out. And I'll be a little selfish. I'm going to get mine in, too, so we're not going to go real late here. But So please let your fingers do some, some typing and put in some questions because I know you guys have got them, and uh, don't be shy. Give them, give them to us here. Um, one last question before I let you just sort of take us any direction you like, maybe even have a read. Go to certain places. Go to maybe go to the LinkedIn page, Reeb, or or Facebook, or whatever else. But um, one last question for me. This is one that that I almost always ask, and it gets such a cool array of answers. It's kind of personal, a little bit on the personal side. Um, tell us about some event that's happened in your life that at the time, and you can be as vague or as specific as you want, that at the time seemed awful. And you just thought, oh, my gosh, I hope I survived this. But now as you look back at it in, re in retrospect, it actually worked out for really good in your life. Well, in this context, I would have to say it was um, when my mother was 35 and I was five and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that was a, a horrible time in our family's uh, life. She survived, thankfully. And what they feel, um, 
was the cause of it because there was no family history. It was my mother grew up in the Midwest and then she raised us uh, in, I, I was uh, born outside of Kansas City, Missouri and lived surrounded by chemical agriculture on all sides. And my parents had moved um, from another small town in Missouri where about eight years prior uh, to her diagnosis, before I was even born, she and my brothers um, would chase the mosquito spraying truck on hot summer Midwestern nights. So we all know, those of us of a certain age, what that chemical was, and that was DDT, um, to, to combat uh, the mosquitoes. So it is thought that my mother's breast cancer was caused, was an environmental, um, a result of an environmental factor. And as hard as that was, and again, like I said, she survived, she had a radical mastectomy. So that was in the early 1970s or mid 1970s rather. And uh, breast cancer wasn't you know, as prevalent or talked about as much as it is today. We don't know as much about it. Unfortunately, she ended up um, getting a reoccurrence in age 65 and again, Looking back um, at where she lived, again, my parents' home was surrounded by chemical farmers on all, literally on all sides. I lived five miles out in the country. My nearest neighbor was a mile away. And my parents, they were both educators. They weren't farmers. Um, but we would, we would see, we would see the, you know, the, the cover crop, I mean, the, the planes come in and spray, or we would see the sprayers out um, constantly. And um, I can't help but think that that second bout was, again, the result of her environment. So unfortunately, she died after that second bout of uh, breast cancer at the young age of 71. And really, for me, that experience has shaped my entire life for health and wellness and a, a deep understanding and appreciation for the need to live cleanly and what that means for human and planetary health. And so it was a, it was a terrible event in um, my family's life and in my life and to lose my mother um, at a, what I felt 71 is a young age. Um, but it, it definitely, um, it, it changed the path of my life for the better. I believe, and um, I I feel that as a mom of two um, young women, uh, they're 18 and 22, and they've grown up understanding that story and grown up with a mom who's uh, uh, passionate about organics and their impact on human and planetary health. Uh, that they will they will carry that forward to their families eventually. All right, what a great story! Thank you for that. Um, that's, that's not an easy one, and uh, I was kind of doing the math. But tell me how long ago that was that your mom died. She, my mom died in '08. So it's 12 years, and guess what? If you listen, to, if you remember, go back to the story here, the organic institute she were, that that you went to, and so on. You can see everybody how that fits. Um, so you live urban. I wasn't going to ask any more. There are there are a couple of really great questions from our audience, and we're going to get to those. I just have one more quick one. Then, um, how have you changed? You live urban. You must be eating different. You must be. What are you doing different day to day to keep yourself and those two amazing young young children 
um, you know, young adults now um, in a better way. Well, you know, um, since COVID, uh, obviously we're all cooking more. My husband uh, is the, he represents Black Cat Farm, Eric Skokin's farm here in uh, Boulder and his restaurants. Uh, and we've been a member of their CSA for years. We've pretty much shifted to a fairly uh, predominantly plant-based diet. Um, which I feel like has changed our health for the better. And also since COVID, we, we gave up the gym. And interestingly, we both have lost like eight pounds by just integrating daily hikes that are at least four or five miles long instead of doing you know high intensity workouts or going into hot yoga rooms. Um, and I think that's really improved not only our physical health, but our mental health. Um, incredibly. So the, the integration, again, of, of more plants in our diet and daily hikes um, has, has boosted all of our health. Uh, and that, yeah. that includes my girls as well. So last year in January, so a little bit earlier, I was at the um, computer electro consumer electronics show. And, mm. and it's kind of something I just liked. And there's, there are some people that do organic and other farm but it's mostly gizmos and cut but it was the breakout of impossible foods mm. for their pork substitute their mm. all vegetable pork substitute and they already had come out with their ground meat substitute if you guys haven't tried either of those and used begun to think about using and there's other i'm sure there's other men many other manufacturers now, you gotta try them I'm a meat snob and I don't, I eat more meat than I should. But the reality is those, both their pork substitute and their ground beef substitute taste just like, I mean, I, as a snob who thinks he can taste the difference, I couldn't tell it. There's no way I would have been able to tell the difference. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, they're really, really good. And they're all natural too, by the way, natural and organic. Um, well, couple questions from the audience and please somebody else get some in uh daniel asks and daniel do you live near houston he he, he put in does rodell have any projects near houston near okay. houston no not not at present mm -mm. Okay. but it doesn't mean we you know we couldn't um couldn't start something so okay cool um anthony asks Annie, what do you think the consumers need the most to be at more educated on regenerative organic ag and take action to support the movement? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think I think um, really understanding that connection between the health of the soil and the health of the plant needs to be brought forward. And we're doing that with our vegetable systems trial where we're looking at the nutrient density of vegetables being grown side by side, conventional versus organic. And we have four years under our belt, but I feel that once that, that message comes out, that yes, you might be buying a butternut squash and it's organic and maybe it's a dollar more, but the nutrients within that not only is going to make you healthier, but also in the growing of it, made the planet healthier. So 
I, I just feel that that message hasn't really resonated as as deeply and as widely as it it will eventually. The documentaries like Kiss the Ground, um, it's available on Netflix. It's about an hour and a quarter long. Woody Harrelson is the narrator. Tom Brady is in it. Um, wonderful, absolutely wonderful educational documentary. And um, from what I've heard, documentaries are one of the most powerful tools in changing people's behaviors um, and educating people um, in ways that, that we simply can't because of the story that they tell really becomes much more impactful on the big screen. So I um, hope that it helps answer the question. That's a great answer. Uh, by the way, Daniel, who asked the question about projects near Houston, manages a smaller but similar similar organization in Houston, he says. So you guys should connect. Um, should which, connect. which leads me to we're not we're not done yet, but is there what's the best contact info for somebody, any of our viewers, and and Rodale. Could you put it on the screen, uh Areeb? I'm sure there's a email address there, there's contact and so on. And, if you go to the, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh I was gonna say I don't want to I mean, you serve a very specific role, and I don't want to have you be getting a whole bunch of emails or whatever, but if, if, the, if they're better served, go ahead and get a hold of Rodale and, and the person within Rodale that might help. Yeah, and I can direct um, people to those uh, folks who, who might be uh, most helpful to them, but that's a great contact page, rodaleinstitute.org. If you go to the donate page and you scroll all the way down, you're going to find my contact information, which is annie.brown at rodaleinstitute.org. Um, so more than happy to, um, to be a, a resource for anyone, any of your listeners, absolutely. Yeah, Daniel, just gave, Daniel just gave an email address for himself, and I'll, we'll make sure we pass that along to you. Um, Terrific. By the way, I'm interested in, in, in the Texas and the Houston area, but you and I can talk about that also. Um, here we go. Here's their um, donation page that, that Areeb was showing. I'm assuming you're, you're a 501c3, so you have mm -hmm. all those tax benefits, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, Absolutely. So, Few more minutes, everybody. Throw in some other questions. You guys have them. What other? What while we're waiting for that? Final thoughts from you. What, what else would you like to? I, I would love to tell your um, listeners about the regenerative organic certification. If they don't know about it. So this was a, a new certification. It's it's really a north uh, north star high bar standard, and it combines three pillars. The first is soil health and the continuous improvement of our soil, not just letting it, you know, just be organic, but actively improving it year after year, crop after crop. The second pillar is animal welfare. And yes, USDA Organic certainly has animal welfare standards, but these go above and beyond what is uh, what's found in the USDA standard. And then the last pillar is social fairness for farm workers, um, a living wage, because we wouldn't, none of us would be eating without uh, 
the, the help of all of the farm workers who are out there every single day providing the food that we put on our plates. So this high bar standard, again, it's called the Regenerative Organic Certification. And we came together with some corporate partners, Patagonia, Dr. Bronner's, David Vetter, a farmer who's in Nebraska who you might know, another great documentary, by the way, A Vetter World, a closed loop system of farming. And, um, you know, it's, it's not very big yet, but it's poised to be huge. Um, and, it, and their website is regenorganic.org. And there are a few products out there, Lotus Foods, uh, a wonderful rice company. Uh, again, there's some Patagonia products, Patagonia Provisions, Dr. Bronner's uh, vegetable or coconut oil, Soul Simple has some, um, dried fruits from the tropics, but they have a list of at least 250 farmers in the queue who are trying to become regenerative organic certified, which means then that those crops will soon become products that you will find on shelves. So keep your eye open for that new certification. Again, it's it's not meant to sabotage or, or um, discount what USDA Organic has done, but it stands on their shoulders and it just, takes it to a higher level that we know consumers are asking um, for, you know, uh, the highest type, uh, the highest quality product that protects the, the rights of animals and um, farm workers as well as improve the soil. So I, I highly recommend everybody be on the lookout for that. And just an example of that, and, and I was, that, that organization was first announced and, and that certification at the Acres USA conference about a year and three or four months ago now, um, and um, and so I was there and and fortunate to, to to hear about some of that. But here's a real cool way you guys can think about because as Annie's saying, this is not subperfusing the organic seal, um, mm -hmm. which which Rodale had a lot to do with, and it still means that's something you should be looking at. But here's an example. You go, to the, you go to any major grocery store right now, no names need to be mentioned, and you look at three heads of lettuce from three different organically certified manu uh, producers side by side, and if you were to taste all three, I almost guarantee there would be a little different taste because they're grown different places. They're different kinds of soil nutrients. More importantly, though, if you had a way, if you took and sent off leaves of those plants to an organic to a lab you'd find that they did have different constituencies you may not know how to interpret them but we hopefully will teach people will learn how to interpret them and we're working with dan at and i'm not thinking of his entity right now who's coming up with something called the thing where he hopes you can have it on your phone and literally point it at 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 those three heads of lettuce and click on it and it'll give you a rating and I'll say, this one is 98, this one is 72, this one is 45. And you'll go, whoa. And it means you probably ought to think about selecting the 98 because it has been now um, developed. And so there's a lot of really cool um, innovation going on in that way. And that's where you as a consumer, I mean, organic is different in different ways that you'll see it on the shelf. 
Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I think more and more we're going to start seeing these nutrient values rise to the top, like you said, with the with the technology that's out there. Um, and it can only it can only improve life, right? So be on the and lookout. Avoid, and avoid those horrible circumstances that that uh, Annie talked about from her heart and how her mother and I. Unfortunately, I think I'm facing some things in my life, and I'm going to face more because of what I grew up. I grew up in an area where it was industrial ag, huge pesticide, herbicide use, huge ammonia, fertilization, water quality reduction. And then that was in my early life. Then I moved to urban Los Angeles for my high school and college years. Hmm. And and I was, you know, we were exposed through what we ate, through what we breathed, through, through what we you know, touched way more things that we really shouldn't have, you know, if we could avoid it. So, um, and our, the effects are going to come later in our lives, uh, unfortunately. So yeah. it, it is right now at the top of the hour. I don't see any other questions. Um, last, last thoughts from you, Annie, and, if, and then I think we'll call it for the day. You know, my last thoughts are just thank you for, for hosting me and allowing me to talk about Rodale, um, an organization that I am so passionate about and believe in 100% that the work that we do is really changing the world. And I invite all of you to dig deep into our work. Um, again, reach out. If you have any questions or you're interested in being involved, I'd love to hear from you. And, and Wayne, thank you again. It, it was a true pleasure and an honor to speak with you today. Well, and thank you. And please come. Let's, let's make sure we reach back out to each other. You come up here, um, you and your husband or you alone, any, your kids um, come up. Maybe I, I heard a gap. I heard Cedar Rapids, Iowa. <laughs> Ventura, California. I didn't hear Colorado. I didn't hear New Mexico. Maybe my maybe my ranch could become another one of those Rodale outputs. Out, out. We would we would love that, and we've been working on trying to get something in the um, the high desert because it's definitely another challenging growing um, region that doesn't have the resources it needs. But there are farmers who are desperate for uh, what works and what doesn't. Um, to make them successful as organic farmers. So absolutely, we can figure it out. We would definitely have a, another satellite location in the area. Um, so that would All be right. fantastic. All right, Annie, thank you. Audience, thank as you, always, Wayne. you guys, you guys are always cool. Terrific. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT Community Podcast.